I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn back to Romans chapter 8. I want to continue with the passage that Randy uh, preached from last week and that we studied from in our home Bible studies last Sunday night. Uh, I remember many years ago when my favorite teacher of all time, uh, Dr. Dow Flatt, was asked a question in class. One of the students asked him, he said, Brother Flat, what's the toughest book in the Bible to understand? And Brother Dow said, I expect that you think I will respond by saying the book of Revelation. But I believe it is not the book of Revelation, I believe it is the book of Romans. And he went on to explain how the book of Romans is a very deep book. And he is right. It is indeed a very deep book. Randy did uh, such a great job last week. And this series on Romans 8 is such a good series. And he's doing so well with it. Last week in our Sunday morning and Sunday evening studies, we discussed primarily the matter of there being no condemnation in Christ. And he primarily based that study from the first four four verses. And I want to review by reading the first four verses as we begin this morning. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do... Because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, where I want to go in our study this morning is to look at that last phrase and ask the question, so what does it mean to live or to walk according to the Spirit? Now, that's a topic we seem to ignore sometimes. It's one that causes us to go, oh, that's tough. I don't know that I want to discuss that. And we want to believe in the Spirit. We even want to benefit from the Holy Spirit. But I think we're satisfied with not really understanding what that picture looks like. Our verses this morning will be on the screen, but I encourage you to keep those Bibles open and look at that whole picture as we go from verse 5 to verse 17 this morning. Because as deep as the book of Romans is, I believe these next few verses paint a very clear and a very obvious picture of what it means to walk according to the Spirit. And so I want us to try to get that picture this morning. I want us to begin by looking at a couple of verses just to make it clear that God does give us His Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? In 1 Corinthians 12, and verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We could go on and on and on. And in fact, several years ago, I was asked to to teach a class on the Holy Spirit. 
And the way I taught that class was by using a concordance before we had word search capabilities in computers, using concordances to go throughout the New Testament, and in fact throughout the Old and the New, there's not nearly as much in the Old, but throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and pull out every use of either the words Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, as the King James Version renders the Spirit in some cases. And it was amazing how clear that picture became when you just went from verse to verse to verse. And if I, I were to present those this morning, we wouldn't have enough time, but we'd go on and on and on, seeing that God has given us His Spirit. He has very obviously given us His Spirit. And what does that mean? What does that picture look like? And it is difficult. I remember as a little boy going to Fried Hardman for the lectures, my dad took me out of school, and we went to Henderson, and then the open forum was in Bader Gym, and I remember even where we were sitting in the gym, and I remember on the stage that they put at the end, at the south end of that gym, I remember seeing Guy and Woods and Gus Nichols sitting on that stage. Now, there aren't a lot of us who've had that opportunity, and I wish I remembered it clearer than I do, but I remember very much them laughing, I remember them raising their voices at times. I remember them debating the matter of the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I remember Brother Nichols believing and teaching that there is the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I remember Brother Woods so adamantly trying to tie the Holy Spirit to the Word. And I'll even say, regarding that through the years, what I have come to believe, as I've thought about that many, many times, is that the two of them who were very close friends, the two of them who were very scholarly, on the most part, believed that God does the same thing. They just labeled it differently. I believe Guy and Woods would very much say, in answer to the question, does God give us strength? He would say, absolutely, he does. Does God protect us? He would say, I absolutely believe that he does. My take very much on that argument, that debate, is that on the most part, people who believe one or the other believe the same thing. One calls it work according to the Holy Spirit, and one calls it providence. I really don't have much trouble with that. I think the important thing is that we realize God provides those benefits. But I do believe, especially from Romans 8, we're going to see that picture very clearly that God does give us His Spirit. That His Spirit does dwell within us. And by the time we end this, this morning, I hope we know what that looks like. But let's look first at verse 5. And what we're going to see in verse 5 is that living according to the sinful nature is very different from living according to to what the Spirit desires. And this is going to be a key theme that we're going to see as we go through these next few verses. Romans 8 verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, probably no better way to introduce where we're going this morning would be then to say or to ask the question, so what is our mind set on? What is my mind set on? 
What do I most desire? What most motivates me? What am I most trying to do? And if I were to have to end the lesson right now, I guess I would do so by saying, ask yourself what drives you. If we are driven by a passion for Jesus Christ, if we are driven by the desire to be faithful to God Almighty, what we're going to see as we continue to develop this is God is going to help us along. He is going to give us what we need to do that. And that's where Paul starts with this topic in verse 5. Where is our mind set? Whether or not we have the Holy Spirit with us depends upon what our focus is. And look at two passages from Galatians to see this painted more clearly. First chapter 6 and verse 8. Galatians 6 and verse 8. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting or everlasting life. So where or what are we sowing? But let's go to the second, Galatians 5, 15 to 26. And if you were to ask the question, what does it mean to sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit? Watch this. Paul's going to answer that question very clearly. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not. It is impossible. Fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, a second theme that we're going to see in this passage this morning from Romans 8 is very clearly that God has made us different from the animals. That God has given us the ability to discipline ourselves, to restrain ourselves, to not just do whatever we want. And part of whether or not we have the Spirit living within us has to do with whether or not we restrain ourselves. Whether or not we discipline ourselves. But let's continue. Verse 18, if you are led in Galatians 5, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. And let me stop for a minute. Familiar passage, it's easy for us just kind of to float through it. These first are very much physical or sexual sins or things that one might focus on, but it's not contained to sins of the physical nature. Look closely. Verse 20, idolatry. We might say materialism, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, people who lose their anger easily or outburst of wrath. In my notes, I have bolded the next one, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. Now, look at that list closely, and look at what your struggle is with, or what your struggles are with. And part of what we could say this morning is, The Spirit will live within us if we will work to contain and discipline those areas. 
if we work to not just do what we want, whether it is sins of a physical or fleshly nature, whether it's selfishness, whether it's materialism, whether it has to do with how we feel toward others, envy, hatred, maybe pride, such that we cause division. How are we doing with those things? If we don't fight them, if we allow them to determine who we are, then I think what we're seeing as we progress is the Spirit is not within us. Because for these, it is impossible to inherit the kingdom of heaven. However, if the Spirit lives within us, then our life looks a certain way. And Paul uses here in Galatians 5 the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. And the idea of the fruit is what our lives produce. What is the result of what we do if the Spirit lives within us? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, then let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now when we look at that list, if you're like me, you look at that list and go, Ooh, sometimes I don't do very well with those. I don't think God expects us, and in fact, I'm not going to say I think. I'm confident God does not expect perfection of us. He does not expect us to walk daily without failing. But as Paul wrote in Romans 6, we can't just say grace will cover us. We can do whatever we want to. The picture here is very clear. And how I would say this, and how I think Paul said it is, what's our focus? What drives us? What motivates us? What do we want to be? And if we want to be the type of person that produces these fruits of the Spirit, then God is going to help us along and give us the Spirit to help us to do this. I was in Mount Pleasant last night and on the Main Street church sign, I saw these words. A mind fixed on God has no room for evil thoughts. And part of what we're going to see as we continue is the body cannot contain at the same time both Satan and the Spirit. Because the spiritual warfare that takes place will not allow that to happen. But we'll continue to develop. Let's move on. Verses 6 to 9. We are controlled by something, so what is it? And let's look at verse 6 of the first part of verse 9 of Romans 8. The mind controlled by the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind controlled by the flesh is hostile to God. That's why the Spirit can't live in the same body with Satan. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You who, however, 
are not controlled by the flesh but by the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you now see what it's starting to look like if the spirit is in me my life looks a certain way if the spirit is in me I focus on certain things and certain things I do not focus on it is a matter of who we give control to and I'm not talking this morning about demon possession Several years ago, before he came to Columbia, Carter was in high school, and he came to me one night, and he said, Dad, I've got a question for you. Do you believe in demon possession? And I said, I've got a question for you. Do you have friends at school who live for Friday and Saturday nights where they can go out drinking with the guys and get drunk? And do you have friends at school who are so looking for having sex with others and... That's what they live for, and if that situation presents itself, there's no way in the world they're going to say no. And in fact, it's not only a temptation, it's something they look for. And he said, yeah, sure. And I said, so what's controlling them? Is it Satan or is it God? He said, Satan. And I said, I think that's very different from demon possession. But my second question is, what do you think is worse? I don't believe that I've ever seen anybody who's demon-possessed. Now, being in education, I've seen young kids who sometimes make me wonder. <laughs> but I don't see anything that looks like what we see as demon possession in the New Testament. But I have seen people who are controlled by Satan. And those people who are controlled by Satan are not controlled by Satan as we will continue to see as we study because they have no choice. But rather, as I often say downstairs in the counseling room, they have given the keys to Satan and he is driving them in the ground. Satan will control us if we will let him. And God will control us through his spirit if we will let him. Well, let's go on. Verse 9, the second part of that in verse 10. In order to have the Holy Spirit within me, Paul says, I've got to have the Spirit of Christ. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. What's the idea of our body being dead? I think the idea very clearly is we don't do just whatever we feel. If we have an instinct, we don't necessarily run with it. If we have a passion, we don't automatically give in to it. If we have a desire, we stop and determine whether it is acceptable or unacceptable to fulfill that desire. What that means is there are feelings that we've got to deal with. And we've got to basically cause them to become dead. Now, that's strong. That's difficult. But what Paul is saying here, I believe, is we just cannot do whatever we want to do. We cannot allow our instincts, our impulses, and our desires to drive us. But the second thing we see in this passage is, in order for us to have the Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit within us, we must have the Spirit of Christ. 
Now, here's what I believe. I believe having the Holy Spirit within us is something that God does for us. And having the Spirit of Christ is something that I must do for myself with God's help. And that the first is contingent on the second. I think in order for me to have the Holy Spirit within me, I must take on, Philippians 2 and verse 5, the mind of Christ. I must cause my flesh and my fleshly desires to become controlled, to become disciplined, or to become dead in effect. I have to make decisions like Jesus. I have to want to be like him because what we're seeing is I cannot be out here on Friday and Saturday night living according to Satan within me and then on Sunday come in and expect to have a full measure of the Holy Spirit. I cannot live in a way other than the life that Jesus would live and wants me to live and expect God to give me the full measure, or for that matter, I think any measure of the Holy Spirit. Having the Spirit of Christ means that I control my selfish wants, my desires, my passions. The person who has the Holy Spirit within them cannot and does not do whatever they want to do. Indeed, the Christian life is a life of discipline. And as we look at that passage of Christian graces from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Peter said, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. The word temperance means self-control. And then verse 10, wherefore the rather brethren make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, you shall never fall. Within that list of things we must do in order to be safe and saved eternally, is to just simply provide self-control. We cannot do whatever we feel and have the Holy Spirit within us. But let's go on to verse 11. I love this verse. The same powerful Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can live within me. Look at Romans 8, verse 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Watch this. Sometimes downstairs I deal with very, very difficult addictive type behavior. I deal with people who've gotten deep enough into chemicals or physical activity or you name it. It's a real struggle. Sometimes it's difficult enough that I wonder if it'll happen or not. And indeed, it takes a lot. But what, get, what God gives us who want to do right and who lean on him and who show self-restraint is the same spirit, the same power that put life and breath back in the body of God's Son and caused Him to come forth from the grave. That's pretty powerful. If I have an inclination to do something, it's as though God says, watch this. 
in a similar way that on that Sunday morning he said, watch this. Now how would you like to have been the, the caretaker of the cemetery that day? How would you like to have seen all that activity when that stone was rolled away and when he had shed those burial garments and he walked forth? Look again at verse 11. It's the same spirit. Makes me want that spirit. Verses 12 to 14. And the idea we see here is when we commit to God and we want to live for him and not ourselves, he continues, as we've seen, to give that spirit to control our desires and instincts. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, there's a reason Paul keeps coming back to this idea, because he knows, knows we need it. Well, let's go on and look at 15 to 17. It is the case, Paul says, that God gives his Spirit to all those who are his children. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now if you wonder what that means, the word Abba is just another name for the word Father. It's actually another language. And so it is as though Paul said, we cry out, Father, Father. And he, it seems, wanted to emphasize the fact that God is our Father. But continue, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, one of the things we see here is uh, sometimes those who have the spirit within them have suffering. It's not always easy. But another thing we see in this passage is the Spirit and having the Spirit within us is not confining, it is freeing. It's not confining, it's freeing. If you could be a fly on the wall downstairs and see some of what I see, you would know that those who live according to the flesh are not happy people. Those who allow Satan to drive them and to control them to a bad place. Don't come in here saying this life is great. They come in here saying, can you help me? Why? Because that's what Satan does. But those who live according to the Spirit are free of that torment. And are free of that difficulty. Another thing we see in this passage is the importance of aligning what the Spirit wants with what I want. Aligning what the Spirit wants with what I want. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, in these last few minutes, I want to kind of pull some things together. It is the case, I believe, that we can understand the Holy Spirit as God intends for us to understand. And I believe it is very clear that the Holy Spirit dwells within me. But what does that mean? 
Does that mean I have to understand exactly how that works? Exactly physiologically, emotionally, spiritually, what happens? Well, I don't think so. Tina and I, on the most part, wired our house. And she pulled an awful lot of wire. And we understand enough about electricity to do that. But you know, if you ask me what makes that light bulb come on, or what makes that TV work, man, my head starts spinning fast. But I'm here to tell you, I understand the benefit. We don't have to perfectly understand exactly how it works to understand what it means to us. And the picture that we are seeing this morning, I think is a pretty clear picture on what it means to us. I also would suggest that a lot of times we don't really appreciate something as we should until it's taken from us. We all know what it's like to walk in that room and flip the switch, even knowing full well the power's off because of a storm, because we so instinctively rely on it that we have to remind ourselves it's not going to work because it's not there. And I would also suggest this morning that it is possible for us to benefit from it without even actually from time to time thinking about it. For example, how many of you came in this morning thinking about the fact that the lights are on? They are. But you didn't come, on, come in this morning and go, oh good, the lights are on. But if somebody went to the what, front and turned them off midway through a song, we'd go, what's wrong? What happened? Why are the lights off? I don't believe we have to so fully understand God's wisdom, His intelligence, His ability, so that we understand completely what happens when God's Spirit is within us. But I believe we can understand that picture much as we understand how much we appreciate electricity being on. So four things I want us to see as we close this morning. What can I know? Number one, God uses the Holy Spirit to help us to do what we cannot do for ourselves. God magnifies our efforts. James 4, 7 and 8, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near unto God and he will come near unto you. And we see the contrast to be true as well. Romans 1, 28, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge... Of God, so God gave them over to a reprobate or depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. What do we see in these two verses and over and over again in the scripture that God helps us along in the direction that we are headed? If we are headed in the wrong direction, He will try to get us to turn, but if we don't, He'll say, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you do it. But if we are headed in the right direction, He says, Give me an inch and I'll give you a mile. You turn toward me and I'll pull you with all that I have, which is more than enough. What can I know? Number two, God uses the Holy Spirit in placing a shield of protection around us to protect us from Satan. Look again from Galatians, this time chapter 5, verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And I think if we even want to drill down a little more saying how does that work, we could turn to 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such is his common demand. God is faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. I may not always understand exactly how this works, but there are two things I know. Number one, there will always be an alternative to sin. There will always be an option out. Number two, Satan will never so overpower me that I have no ability to resist. Why? Because God has given me his spirit, and his spirit ensures that is the case. You know, when I look closely at that verse, I see something inward going on and something outward going on. What I see going on outwardly is that God is somehow picking things up and putting them down, causing people to be here or there, creating situations to make sure that there's a way out. But the second part, the inward part, is because the Holy Spirit is within me, I have a strength. I have a determination, I have a mindset to desire not to do those things and the strength to help me with that. Number three, we haven't talked about this this morning from Romans 8 verse 6 and I briefly mentioned it but not in depth. Verse 6, God uses the Holy Spirit to give us peace. The mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. It's interesting the contrast we see because we've seen this morning in this passage that part of us has to die, but the part of us that lives is such an amazing, peaceful, abundant life. It's the same type of peace Jesus gave to the apostles in John 14. The King James Version talks about Jesus promising to give to them the comforter. I will give you the comforter. And we look at even historical renderings of what happened to those apostles. Some of them were beheaded, likely Apostle Peter died hanging upside down, feeling unworthy to die in a similar position as his Lord. Uh, we read Fox's Book of Martyrs and we see some of what happened to those early church leaders. Doesn't sound very comforting to me, but yet some of those stories we read them going, I'm okay with this. God has never turned away from me. I will never turn away from him. And you read that and you go, how? How can they do that? They had the Spirit within them. They were comforted in the difficult moment. Finally, number four, what does all this mean that we've seen this morning from Romans 8? God uses the Holy Spirit to bring us home. Verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And look from Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Paul said, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal. What is it? The promised Holy Spirit. 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redeeming of those who are God's possession to praise his glory. If the Holy Spirit lives within us, we are God's children and heaven is ours. If we continue there, well, that's a great thought. You know, about a year ago, our daughter Haley and her husband Will bought a house in Creve Hall close to uh, where they work. And in the spring, they started talking to Tina and me about wanting to redo their yard. And it needed to be redone. It was a mess. And to say they had no tools is an understatement. But they had the desire. And so when they first started talking to me about it, part of my question was, how badly do they want it? Are they just talking or do they want Dad to do it for them? And so I kind of laid back to wait and waited to see how much they talk about it and whether or not they really wanted it. And so they began talking about it more and talking about it more. And I said, well, we're going to have to do this, and you're going to have to do this, this, and this. And they said, we're in, we're in. Well, it started eight or ten weeks ago, maybe 12. My dad and I went to Creve Hall and pulled a tractor and cut some trees in the yard and pulled them away from the power lines. And everybody, including ourselves, were nervous, but it worked. And then I took my spray rig up and I sprayed their yard with Roundup and killed all the weeds and all the grass and everything. And then my dad went back a few weeks later. I took his tractor and his disc and, you know, those people in Creve Hall were going, what in the world are these country hicks doing? But we worked up that yard. He did. And then Tina and I went back and helped them to, to sow and to set out plants. And I'm not trying to be overly personal but here's my point when I saw they wanted it I was all in had they not had a, a tractor in fact they didn't have a tractor they didn't have a spray rig they didn't even have the know-how and had it not been for what we provided their yard would still be a mess but that fescue blend has come up pretty well those plants look pretty good even that fire pit that is Primarily all that Will wanted. Looks nice. And again, it's not my intent to just stand here and tell my personal stories, even though I enjoy doing that. But I believe God says, give me an inch and I'll give you a mile. You show me the want to, and I'll give you what you need to get it done. It is interesting as we close that God made us free moral agents. He gave us the ability to make decisions right and wrong. He gave us the ability to completely fail if we choose to do that. But I'll also say he could not have done more than he has done to give us what we need to succeed. He gave his son and he gave his spirit. Will we take advantage of it? What is our focus? This morning we offer the invitation. If you need to change your focus, or if you need to focus for the first time in your life on doing what God wants us to do because he gave his son and benefiting from his Holy Spirit, it may be today that you need to repent of your sins. Confess Jesus as Lord. Be baptized for the remission of sins. And if you've fallen away and need to refocus today, this church would love to pray for you. If you need to come, will you come right